Welcome to episode number 63 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Mark Lloyd Ramnasianu, and he is the co-founder of NetCloak, which is an enterprise cybersecurity solution that removes publicly available employee data before it can be leveraged in an attack against an organization. And before he started NetCloak, he was also a senior consultant on the cyber threat intelligence team at EY. And we go into all different things, cybersecurity in this episode, including how Mark Lloyd actually got into this whole industry and how he decided to start this company and then even got backed by Techstars, went through the Techstars Accelerator. We go through all that in this episode. You can find the show notes for this episode at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And please subscribe and leave a rating and review. It helps more people find the show over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Also, it can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Without further ado, here's Mark Lloyd talking about NetCloak. Mark Lloyd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Definitely appreciate it. Happy to have you on. And obviously, met through the event we had at USC with Techstars and found your story intriguing and wanted to have you on and talk a little bit more about everything you're doing. And the first thing I'm just wondering is how did you get into cybersecurity? Where did the interest in cybersecurity come from for you? Sure. So I've always been a huge nerd, which I think a lot of tech founders can relate to. I never did anything with it until I actually went to USC. And I was a sitting in my dorm freshman year and I was looking at my schedule and I was like, holy crap, I've got a bunch of credits and um, you know, I was bouncing ideas around and then saw this course called Cybersecurity from Hackers to CEOs. And I thought, you know what, that fits with my schedule. It lets me have Friday off to uh, enjoy nice. my Thursday night. And uh, then I took the class and you know, the career kind of took off from there. And so taking that class then, I mean, what were some of the things about it that you were like, oh yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. I'm just curious. Sure. So, you know, the more you get into cybersecurity, is it's a field that really appeals if you like puzzles. So for me, I always enjoyed understanding how computers worked. I built my own computer and, you know, always was technical in that perspective. But just being able to kind of get in the weeds and figuring out how to break a system just, you know, piqued my curiosity. And USC's program was really hands-on. So we did everything from war games to, you know, trying to hack the other students in the class, going back and forth with them just really, you know, had an absolute blast of it. And the kind of point in time came when I was looking to graduate to whether or not I was going to go into finance. I actually had an opportunity to go, go work at the USC endowment as an investment analyst or go pursue cybersecurity full time. And the uh, actually chief investment officer at USC, uh, Lisa, advised me to go pursue cybersecurity. She told me I could always go back to finance, but I'd really only have one shot to go pursue a technical career. Yeah. And from that, then you went to EY, you were a consultant in the cybersecurity. Like, why did you want that role? I'm just curious on that perspective of cybersecurity. Sure. So, you know, the <laughs> I wish there was a fancier answer, but at the end of the day, <laughs> the offer was the most lucrative, you know, but more going into why I was interviewing there. At the time, there was a gap in their cybersecurity talent pool for people that could talk about risk and could talk about cybersecurity issues in a in a way that uh, business leaders could understand, which is critical if you're a consultant, right? And because I had a finance background and I went to Marshall for my undergrad, I knew how to do that. I was comfortable 
interacting with non-technical executives and kind of acting as that bridge from a technical impact to a business impact front. So that that's why that opportunity was interesting. Yeah. And from that, obviously, so you had that ability to kind of convey the more technical things to non-technical people. What were some of the things that they tended to either need to know about, need to learn about that you helped them with? Because I'm coming from a place of also not being too technical and wondering, you know, what were some of the, the things you mainly had to help people with in regards to the cybersecurity? Sure. So when I was at UI, I specialized in cyber threat intelligence work. So that's pretty much trying to understand how hackers are trying to go after your enterprise and you know what are their goals for going after your company. So in terms of the business side, it's helping really those executives understand how their business assets were viewed from an attacker's perspective and what tactics an attacker might use to go after those particular business assets, right? So if, if you think about it, you know, I had a client that was in the cloud computing space. And for them, it was understanding that it wasn't just their own architecture, like them, the company being targeted. It was they were being targeted repeatedly because they hosted infrastructure for other companies. So attackers were trying to get into them, knowing that they had access to other companies' cloud, cloud architecture. Gotcha. So obviously, you're deciding on which threats, why there are threats. And from that experience, then you were there a couple of years at EY. Where does NetCloak, your company, come in? How'd that start? Sure. So when I was at EY, one of the most common themes that I saw was hackers would often realize that an enterprise network was actually pretty secure. Security's come a long way. Companies are pretty good at it. And they would say, okay, well, this looks like a pain in the butt. But you know, that person in marketing, that person in accounting, that executive assistant, that person in sales, that first year, you know, systems administrator, they have access to the information I want. And they are pro to making mistakes. So I'm going to figure out how I can trick them to do something for me. Interesting. Yeah, that was drove net cloak is understanding that you need to secure the human element. Yeah. And knowing that, so I'm always curious then with entrepreneurs, anyone starting a business, it's like you have that, you see some problems Then what made you actually want to turn that into a business versus just maybe suggesting it to someone or finding someone else where you could work at their company and do that. What made you want to start the business for it? Sure. So it was seeing that problem be propagated across clients and understanding that the way they were dealing with it, which is like show somebody a training video, have somebody sit down and click through a PowerPoint deck was ineffective. And hearing the people whose job it was to deploy those solutions, shit on them. Literally being like, yeah, this is what we do, but it sucks and we hate it. And you're like, well, why don't you do something different? There's like, there's nothing different. And then, you know, talking through what a different solution would look like, which is, you know, net cloak, you know, okay, well, why are people vulnerable? Oh, they put out too much data about themselves online. Well, how do you address that? Well, you just tell them not to do it. Well, that doesn't work. Ah, no, it's complicated. <laughs> You kind of saw that everybody thought the solutions that were out there were bad. They weren't effective. They didn't drive results. Nobody liked them. And seeing that replicated across every single major, you know, Fortune 500 global company I worked at, I was like, okay, this is a huge problem and nobody's trying to address it. And that made me want to start it. Yeah. And getting to that point then of wanting to start this business, then what were some of those initial steps? I mean, did you have a, a timeline of, okay, so, in a couple months, I want to actually have this live ready to go. Like, what were some of the steps you took then once you knew you wanted to start a business with this? 
Sure. So the thing that I knew was I'd always kind of been interested in entrepreneurship. Um, the way I look at it is that being able to take control of your career and be able to realize the fruits of your labor. I think that every entrepreneur does go into it because they want to envision a different world. And that's very powerful. But most importantly, they want to take an active role in creating that world. So I wanted to do that. So for me, it was when I had that realization, it was reading as much as I could, networking with either founders that I knew through USC, that friends could put me in touch with. And then really, the most immediate step was identifying who the team was that I thought could execute. Because that's, as you very well know, the biggest barrier to entry to being a founder is putting together a kick-ass founding team. Yeah. Knowing early on, uh, with you mentioned you kind of were reading some things, you were talking to people. What were you trying to figure out from those conversations and from reading about this? Like, what were some of those things you were trying to decide or figure out from the things you were trying to learn from? I was trying to figure out what it would actually mean to be an entrepreneur and what sort of skill sets I would need, as well as what sort of baseline, what sort of, you know, support system I needed to have in place before I was ready to hit the go button. And you'll get all sorts of answers for this, right? You know, people will tell you, oh, you need to have, you know, these skills on your team. Oh, you need to have the finance guy. You need to have the marketing guy. You need to have the product guy. You need to have the great engineers. You need to have all of this. And then, you know, you need to have your business plan. You need to, you know, understand how you're going to be getting those initial customers and, you need to have your product roadmap and when you're going to develop what features. But really what it all comes down to is that you need to, the answer is different for everybody. You need to do whatever it takes to make yourself comfortable with jumping. And because at the end of the day, you're only going to learn by execution. You're only going to refine your, because whatever thesis you start out with is going to be wrong. Whatever <laughs> you go out with is going to have mistakes. So you just need to get to running as quickly as possible. And for me, the barrier to running as quickly as possible was I didn't have a CTO that I liked. And then I reached out to my former professor who taught me cybersecurity. And he liked the idea because he had had a similar one. I mean, he'd been sitting on it. And once he and I had a couple dinners and we realized that we both thought about the world in the same way and we had seen the same problem from different angles, I knew I was going to jump. And that kind of pushed me over the edge. It was, I've got this badass CTO that I respect the hell out of in my corner. We can do this. It almost is like, you know, this is all I need to see. Yeah. And once you had that buy-in from the CTO, was it then just you two? Or did you have some other people in mind for the team? I'm curious about the team dynamic early on. Yeah. So there were two other guys that we brought in um, that had also been classmates of mine under our CTO and that had also gone to Ernst & Young. And, you know, we looped them into early discussions, chatted with them, and, you know, they decided they wanted to be on board. So once the four of us were there, we figured, you know, okay, what makes sense? We timed it to align with the end of, you know, classes at USC. So we founded the company on June 1st. As you know, finals are done by mid-May. So that let him finish out the semester. And then for us, we kind of timed it. Our hand was forced a little bit because... I was going to roll off a project in July, but I knew I wanted to start before then. So I was, you know, I was like, I was already committed. And the two other guys, Sean and Joe, they were between projects, but then Joe was about to be put on about a year and a half long project. And it was like, and they were like, I mean, it was, the staffing was tight. There were a lot of issues for him. So he said, we got to jump before you get pulled on that because, you know, we don't want to leave our, our friends, you know, our old consulting firm in a bind if they were expecting him to be there. And then he left. And then with that team, so you have people in place, you're figuring out the logistics of just getting everyone together. 
and you have this idea, but then where in this whole process do you figure out what this is going to look like potentially, who your kind of first customers are going to be? Like, how do you approach that process? You know, threw it up on a whiteboard and talked through the strategy we wanted to approach. At the end of the day, it just boils down to we're going to call as many people as we can from our you know networks that we've developed working and consulting over the years. And we're going to see who bites and as well as our personal networks. And, you know, we're still executing on that plan. Every, all of our customers today are all people that I had a direct personal connection to that either made an intro on our behalf or I just had worked with previously. Yeah, I've actually, it's funny. I heard that in a, a different podcast interview I did with someone. Actually, funny enough, another, another USC person. Obviously, there's a lot of USC connections uh, because I'm here now. But she had mentioned for her art uh, website where you can pay artists essentially online. They, she, I think she messaged like 10,000 people <laughs> to get customers. I mean, the numbers of people, it's just like, if you can definitely do that and it will work. And especially early on, you're doing whatever it takes to succeed, right? So you're just trying to figure out what we can do with this. And I'm curious on how much progress... So you start that, let me say it's 2017 in the summer. And then you end up going to Techstars class of 2018. So before Techstars, how much progress has you made up, up to that point? Sure. So we had gotten to really kind of an MVP. And we had gotten organizations that were of somewhat notable size telling us that they thought the MVP was interesting. Cybersecurity is a very difficult market because it doesn't... On the enterprise SaaS side of it, there's a very high level of polish before companies are actually willing to pay for anything because you're dealing with such a critical part of their business, right? It's their security um, and their safety, right? It's not... Think about like building a car. You're not like, oh, just go make an MVP car. The brakes might not work. The, the airbag might not deploy. But just get people in the car and they'll tell you what they like and they don't like. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. The move fast and break things idea with enterprise as cybersecurity. Day. So for us, the traction metrics weren't really there, but the interest and the industry backing as well as the referrals were which was about the best proxy you could get at, at, at an early stage. Yeah, and then knowing that you had that, so you had the MVP built out, what did the MVP kind of look like at that point that knowing you can't just obviously have, it has to work and there's a lot of, it's challenging with, with cybersecurity. What did the MVP look like at that point, like around 2018 before Techstars? It was a very rough web interface that basically found data and you pushed a button and for like one source, it automatically adjusted your privacy settings. But it, like the big thing was it found your data. We're like, we can find the data. That's the hard part. The easy part is like sending takedown requests and adjusting privacy settings, which is what we're building out more now. Obviously, continuing to tune our algorithm to find more data more efficiently. But really, once we proved that we could find data and we could display it to somebody, they could click a button and it would do something. That was for tech stars, the like aha moment that we can touch what they've built and they can build it. Right. And with tech stars, why tech stars in the first place and why an accelerator? Why'd you want to go into an accelerator? So the biggest part about, so cybersecurity is all based on trust, right? Accelerators lend that credentialization. They lend that trust. It's a way for a company that otherwise wouldn't get noticed to get noticed. And tech stars especially we had met and been put in touch with the CEOs and founders of other cybersecurity companies in their portfolio. 
And they had told us that Techstars was in, you know, instrumental in helping them grow and scale. So sort of seeing that network that we would have access to if we got into the program and seeing the results it had generated was huge for me and the team as to why Techstars versus another accelerator. We interviewed for Y Combinator. YC has a fundamentally different model for startups. I've got friends that have done it. Um, it's a fantastic program. For us, we were looking for, you know, a smaller class, really close relationships with our classmates, and really hands-on mentoring because that's the style we liked. And you know, YC, you can certainly get that if you build it if you aggressively build it. Sure, it's much more free form. Like one of my buddies that went through the batch for Winter eighteen mentioned to me, I'm not disclosing his company because I, I don't know if he wants this statement ascribed to him. He said, I truly had no idea who, like, I didn't know half of the batch by the time I graduated. And like the first time I was meeting some people was demo day. He's like, and that to me was like a sign of something needs improvement. And I took that to heart. Yeah. And that's interesting to mention that because it is one of those things where depending on what you want from the program, right? <laughs> like if you know you want more of the relationships with the people in in the actual program as you're going through it, then yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at YC, they had 205 companies in the winter 19 batch. It just kind of went out. So, I mean, there's no way you're going to know all 205 in three month period as you're building your business, right? And then Techstars is 10, right? 10 in the cohorts in all different areas. So it's definitely a much a much different thing and you know, different things for different people. And then tell me about the Techstars experience. Like when you first get into Techstars, you're going through the program, what are some of the things you're working on as you're in that program? Sure. I mean, it's I'd say it's tailored to what each company needs, right? So, you know, for example, uh, one of our classmates, Furnish, they were focused on just getting as many customers as they could. They had a monthly revenue target that they wanted to hit out of the program. We wanted to launch our beta and have initial pilots. Right. Totally different goals. But, you know, the program was structured to achieve. You sort of structure the program, and that's the benefit of a smaller class, to suit what each company needs. Uh, so for us, it was you, every company starts out with Mentor Madness, which is three weeks of meeting, I think, like 80 for, uh, for our class, 85 different people wow. in three weeks. And these are people that are extremely high profile and very successful in their fields. <laughs> And you're just kind of, they sit down with you for 30 minutes when you're doing Mentor Madness. It's like eight to 10 hours a day of talking to people for three weeks. <laughs> and, you know, just you spend 30 minutes telling them about your business and they give you your, their thoughts and how they can potentially be helpful. So that was the first sort of three weeks. You know, next sort of four to five are testing, you know, figuring out, I'm saying the next two weeks after Mentor Madness are figuring out what direction you want to take based on the feedback you had. So, I mean, you're still building the business during Mentor Madness, but this is synthesized feedback, pick a direction, go. Like, what hypotheses are you going to test? Probably say the next three weeks after yeah. that are testing hypotheses. And then at the end of it, it's prepping for demo day. Yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, you wanted that relationship with the other people in your class. And how was that facilitated? You know, how did that experience go getting to meet the other teams that were in there at the time? Yeah, so you had a weekly dinner every Wednesday night. A different team would sort of arrange the catering and the event for the night, and you would sort of spend that evening socializing with your fellow founders. We had other events that we would be invited to, either by Techstars Corporate or by partners or just organizations that were that wanted to sort of expose their brand to Techstars. So we would go to like social events. And then outside of the formally organized stuff, I can say this from my class, I can't speak for others. Uh, we were a very sociable bunch. 
So we organized happy hours, you know, every week. We tried to plan weekend outings together. And it was just everybody wanted to get to know each other. And we planned like weekly CEO calls where all the CEOs would get in the room. And so you would talk about your problems. I mean, it was a fantastic experience. Like everybody wanted to get to know help and support each other. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing experience. And I've talked to other people who've gone through Techstars as well and similar thoughts of just being an incredible experience to meet lots of people and obviously make progress on your business. And then you have that Techstars name behind your business forever. And so after you had gone through the program, what were kind of your next steps in the business after you had gone through Techstars? Yeah, so for us, it was sort of doubling down on refining the product because we had gotten to sort of a beta and it was really kind of going through the beta period and capturing customer feedback in a way that would empower us to really come to market with a strong solution. We continued that through Q1, sort of in January, we soft launched to an additional batch of pilot customers. And then really only in the past couple of weeks have we been able to sign LOIs with some cyber insurance organizations. And so, but just that entire process post-program has been focused on refining the product and really deep testing of different verticals to figure out who has the sharpest pain point that they're willing to deal with an unrefined product. Yeah. And I want to say, first off, congrats on the LOIs. And that's obviously making progress. That's great. And you mentioned the feedback part of it. And I think that's a really critical part of business. How were you getting feedback from customers? What types of things were you doing to get the information on, on the product? Sure. So, I mean, it was, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's finding those friendlies, right? Those people that there's a warm relationship with and they're willing to take a look at something because they like you. <laughs> this is what I would say for most founders, right? Is that whatever business you're building, you need to jump into it knowing that there's going to be some way you're going to have people you trust tell you why your product sucks. And you just need to have that support system in place ready to go. So for us, that was really the feedback. And most of the feedback focused around UI, UX, and usability. Like They're like, okay, the backend tech's good, but your average end user has you know, no idea what to do here. You should improve this to better walk them through the user flow. This is what you need to refine. This is how you can improve the look and feel. So it was really focused on UX. User experience was huge for us and still is. I mean, we're planning a very large UX overhaul based on the feedback we've acquired. Yeah, and you obviously mentioned implementing that from the feedback and with the process of that, so you're gathering different feedback on different things. How are you organizing that, You know, prioritizing the feedback from different people? Because I've done some of that before, and it can be a lot to keep track of and figure out which are the most valuable insights. Like, how did you guys do that? Yeah, so we've got a couple of different things. So obviously setting up GitHub in a way that you've got sort of different projects. So we've opened up different issues and different categories within UI UX that the team could work on. And then each one of the issues has a thread within it. We also just built like a spreadsheet that tracks the asks from different customers and how we're progressing along with those asks. So, you know, there's the macro view, which is for us kind of this, you know, Google Sheets that we share around. And then there's the micro view, which is actually tracking progress in GitHub. So that's how you kind of organize things. And then as your team has evolved since, is it the same team from the very beginning or has it changed? I'm curious. Sure. So we, um, at the end of Techstars, we brought in a new CEO. So I chose to you know, step down and bring somebody and bring an experienced CEO in. And then one of our co-founders was performance managed out because he was running product. And it just, it got to the point where it was sort of beyond his skill set and he didn't want to improve. 
it's going to be challenging. I imagine the team is obviously so important to any business and there's those dynamics. And how do you get to those decisions? How are those decisions made within the business, within your business? Sure. So, I mean, a lot of humility. The way we looked at it was that, you know, for me, and I'll speak to my experience, you know, stepping down from the CEO spawn is that I asked myself, do I want to build a successful company or do I want to be the CEO of a startup? The answer was I wanted to build a, su- a successful company. A lot of people will pay lip service to that. But truth is, a lot of entrepreneurs like having that CEO and founder next to their name in LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> True. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, Alexa was one of our lead mentors in the during Techstars. So I'd worked with her very closely. I respected the hell out of what she had done. I respected her multiple exits. I was learning a lot from her. And I just knew that the company would be much stronger bringing her on board. And that has 100% been the case. So that was a fantastic decision. Then with regards to you know, our other co-founder who, who we performance managed out, you know, it just at the end of it, when I wasn't in that meeting, but when he had that discussion with Alex and our CTO, what really came out of it was just, it wasn't something that he really wanted to do anymore, which, you know, happens, right? Startups are hard. People don't always like to deal with it. And going through, obviously, the people part of it, but there's so many different aspects of the business. I'm, I'm curious as to what have been the biggest challenges so far at NetCloak as you've been growing this. It's been the, you know, running into resource constraints on just in a startup, right? You never have enough money and time <laughs> to do what you want to do. And then sort of telling the story to the investor market of, why it takes longer to sell cybersecurity fast. That hasn't been the case. So we raised some money from investors up in the Bay. And it was we didn't have to really tell that story. They got it pretty quick, which is why that money came from them. But down in LA, there's not a lot of early stage enterprise cybersecurity. It's not from first-time founders. There was a really big seed round for something called Obsidian down in Newport Beach that people are like, oh, there's early stage cyber. That was 10 million from Greylock. And the guys that did it were the former CTO of, was like the former technical team at Silence, which is a unicorn. So it's like a <laughs> little different guys. Yeah. Um, San Francisco is much more receptive to that in terms of technical ideas. So, so I'd say that's the biggest challenge is, is realizing that where we are as a company isn't really a good fit for the venture landscape in LA. Yeah. So you have to obviously find the areas that are, find the people that are willing to kind of buy into the vision. And could you talk a little bit about what is the vision for your company moving forward? Sure. So really the vision for NetCloak is to empower digital privacy at scale. And the reason for that is a lot of human targeted cyber attacks result from the fact that people don't have privacy and people have lost control of their data. They're not able to keep their families safe. They're not able to keep their friends safe. They're not able to keep their companies safe because of that. So for us, it's really making sure that we can give that safety back to everybody. My vision is that privacy as an issue has never been more important, which means that NetCloak's never been more important. And you're on the enterprise side, obviously working with big companies in that sort of thing. Is it ever going to be a more like consumer product or is it always an enterprise? I'm just curious on what you're kind of just thinking in terms of that privacy aspect of it. You know, long term, it's going to be consumer facing. It's already employee facing, right? You know, companies are going to buy this and then sell and then 
give NetCloak to their employees, you know, in lieu of traditional security awareness training. And the fact that it is an employee facing solution means that it's going to go consumer at some point. Yeah, that just seems like the next logical step, right? <laughs> I mean, not necessarily easy, but yeah, one of the next steps you would you would take in the business. Yeah, the reason we're going enterprise first is that we, we I've tested this pretty deeply is that it's very challenging to sell consumer privacy products. There's a very large gap between what people say they want and what they're actually willing to pay for. And so for that, right, it's a market that needs to mature. That's been the calling card of consumer privacy for the past seven or eight years. And where for the enterprise market, there's a very large regulatory pipeline. I mean, you've got GDPR, you've got the CCPA, you've got a couple regulations from the SEC and the New York Department of Financial Services that are really pushing companies to reevaluate how they secure their people and their employees. So we're able to ride that wave. And it's a very sharp pain for the companies we've spoken with, including cyber insurers, to the point where we don't really have to do as much of that education. So that's why we, we're going after it first. Yeah, they already have some of that knowledge on that. And uh, we didn't really talk you know, in depth in terms of the actual product that you have. So if you wouldn't mind like telling a little bit more about what NetClo actually does from that perspective to kind of help companies and look out for them. Definitely. So really what NetCloak does is, is really simple. We're kind of that ethical hacker that sits on your shoulder and finds all of your risky information. So I mean, you know, Justin, I I don't know, man, all those spring break picks that you threw up on the gram, <laughs> all of them for you. But we find all of that sort of high-risk public data that a hacker could use to generate a human-targeted attack. So whether that's manipulating you through email, sending you a targeted message through your social media accounts that gets you to disclose information, download malware, or whatever their objective is, we find the information that they'll use to create that attack. And then we give you the tools to automatically manage and remove it. So if you've ever thought to yourself, oh man, it's super hard to go through my privacy settings on Facebook. I'm not dealing with this right now. We give you a button. You press that button. We manage it for you instantly. You, you know, you watch it happen. It takes less than 15 seconds. If you've ever been worried, like you've Googled yourself and you're like, holy crap, all my addresses are out there on the internet. You know, we're slowly knocking that down. We only address a couple of those sites today because again, we're early stage, but you know, our goal is right. Nobody's going to be able to find that for you. You know, we'll be able to find your information unless you want it to be found. Um, and that's kind of, you know, we have a small subset of that today, but that's really the roadmap. That's awesome. And that's exciting. Obviously, there's like, you can see there's a vision of things that are very important that you'll do eventually, but there's <laughs> so many steps along the way. And obviously, there's a lot of work that's going to go into this. And I'm curious as to how you're kind of managing your time, your energy day to day and prioritizing. Sure. So my focus is, you know, growth, right? That's what I kind of I lead that effort um, at the company. So my prioritization, number one, is getting in front of people. You know, every day, have I gotten in front of who I need to get in front of today? Have I gotten in front of the customer? Have I gotten in front of somebody that, you know, a potential customer has delegated me to? Am I working on materials that I can use to get in front of more customers? So that's, you know, number one is getting in front of customers is my prioritization. Number two is I also kind of do HR and backend operations. So, hey, have we submitted everybody's paychecks to be paid on time? You know, and, um, you know, last week I was on a call with our you know benefits provider. I was like, okay, great. So, you know, annual enrollment is coming up in May. Have like our benefits package in place for our guys to get their health insurance? Yes. So that's like 
second priority. You know, make sure the bills are paid, make sure the checks go out, make sure that you know everybody's taken care of so the business you know functions. And then really kind of the last one is circling back, just circling like back with the team and you know, checking in with with everybody, checking in to make sure you know the product's going forward, coordinating with Alexa to make sure that all the customer feedback has been centralized, synthesized, and then sent to the team. And just kind of tying up loose ends. You know, I try to spend as minimal time in meetings as possible um, because I just I, meetings drag on. <laughs> yep, but it's also important to communicate clearly with with the team and make sure everybody's on the same page. You absolutely do not want people to be in silos. Yeah, especially with a uh, with a startup and a company that yeah you're you're growing, you're young, you're trying. People need to know things. So I imagine that's incredibly important. And with, with thinking about what you've been doing with this company in the last couple of years here, I'm always curious as to how people are learning and what resources they find helpful. So, are there any podcast books, audiobooks, blogs, you know, anything that's been helpful for you along your journey so far? Uh, I read a lot. That is absolutely what I read. How I develop my reading list is I talk to other founders. I find out what they're reading. I follow some of our competitors on like Medium. I follow their marketing, right? I follow them on Twitter. I you know, keep in touch with what they're doing, with what our customers are saying. It's so like industry news. That's important. Podcasts, I don't listen to as many as I should. I'm going to listen. I'll plug Just Go Grind. Yes. Listening to you. You know, that's important. But I think most of the education really comes from talking to other founders. So I try to make sure I have at least dinner with a classmate or somebody else and you know, somebody else I respect in the startup ecosystem once or twice a week. So how are you I mean to that point then with meeting up with people, how are you figuring out who that's gonna be and that type of thing as well? Because it's obviously like, there's so many people you could in theory talk to, especially with the USC connection and then tech stars as well. How do you figure that out? You know, the wonderful thing is that scheduling <laughs> tends to dictate who I can see but not. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> you know, I let that be the number one guide, but it sort of depends on what I need to talk to, right? There are people in my network that, you know, if there's a personal growth question, like, hey, I'm experiencing this challenge, how should I approach it? Different group of people than if I'm, you know, say, hey, you know, let's talk about what's going on in cyber, different group of people. Relaxing is important too, right? I mean, so there are people I talk to where I'm just like, let's just go get drinks and just relax. Like, let's just kick it. Let's talk about random stuff that isn't our companies. So it is kind of to your point of who did, who I decide to sit down with. It's really kind of what I need from a personal growth perspective, but also what they need. You know, I get just as I hit people up to chat about stuff. I also get that inbound, right? So it's making sure that you're, and I think this is where Techstars really shines, is its its motto is give first. Um, so making sure that I'm as available as I can be to my fellow founders, and I'm there to support them as much as possible. Yeah. And on that note of give first, what's some advice you would give to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs? I would say that before you start a company, make sure that it is truly a problem you are extremely passionate about. If you are getting into it for the money, it is absolutely the wrong reason to start a company, unless you're speculating in cryptocurrency, in which case the money is the only thing you've got going for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> uh, which is because God knows ICOs is not done well in terms of actual execution. But you know, if, if you're looking to really build a company, there's a lot of responsibility. You're going to be taking other people's money. You're going to be responsible for paying other people's 
paychecks. Like when I look at that, those paychecks going out every two weeks, I'm like, I know who those are for. I want to make sure, you know, you know <laughs> that's still happening and going up. So you need to really, really make sure it's an idea you believe in. But aside from that, that you're ridiculously humble about your own weaknesses. There's a lot of posturing in the startup community. One of the things I like about Techstars is that like they tell you when you go in, they're like, okay, you know the phrase, I'm killing it, I'm crushing it. Yeah, you're not allowed to use that anymore. Because the real answer is nobody like that's not true. Like you dig under that first layer, you dig past what was said in TechCrunch, you dig past that press release and PR newswire. There's a lot of shit that's happening to those founders underneath. And it's understanding that the only way you can get through that is with a strong support network. And that starts with your founding team that you've put together, but then it starts with the mentors and the people you surround yourself with. And the only way you're ever going to be able to surround yourself with a really good team that's going to help you grow is if you're humble about your own weaknesses. Because if, if you tell everybody, I don't need help, you're not going to get funded you're not going to attract mentors and you're not going to attract people that want to work with you because everybody's going to know that that's a lie. Yeah, because everyone's struggling with something, especially startup founders. I mean, take MBA students too, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. They're, I mean, I see it every day and I obviously, obviously experience it on a very frequent basis as well with trying to manage the demands of the MBA with the podcast and business stuff and then seeing people with internships or no internships. It is, uh, there's always something, right? Everyone has something, whether you're a startup founder or not. Uh, but it is important to figure out how to manage that and be open about what you're struggling with. Like you said, you can't get help if you don't recognize that in the first place, right? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly as long as you are, I would encourage an aspiring entrepreneur to number one, if it's really something you believe in. Um, so starting a founding a startup is never a logical choice. It's inherently not. It's an illogical endeavor. You are throwing away if you do it when you come out of industry or career, you're throwing away a career to not get paid, to get told that you're wrong all the time, to get told that, you know, your idea is bad and nobody likes what you're building. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically signing up to get punched in the face several hundred times, if not several, you know, not several hundred, you know, thousands and thousands of times because you just have the conviction to bring something into this world that didn't exist before. The only way you're going to succeed at doing that is if it's something you really love. I think that's important. And I think that's the perfect way to end as well. So Mark Loy, where can people find you know more about NetCloak and everything you're doing with it? Uh, so I would say that um, you can go to netcloak.io, but that is going to be going through a rebrand in the next month or two. So depending on when you listen to it. <laughs> it might be rebranded by then when I release this episode, actually. <laughs> yeah, it might, uh, might not be the greatest thing. But if you've got any questions, you can you know find me on LinkedIn. You Google my name. It's pretty distinctive. I'm the only one. You can follow... We don't really tweet too much because we're a privacy company, but we're going to be changing that. So you can follow NetCloak Inc. on Twitter. And, uh, you know, really just if you want to email me directly, it is marc at netcloak.io. And if you mention Just Go Grind in the subject line, I will actually prioritize getting back to you versus <laughs> inbound, but gets put into a folder that I almost never look at. <laughs> totally understand. There's so many, so many demands in your time. Mark Lloyd, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it, man. Sure, Justin, anytime. And let me know how uh, I can always be helpful in the future. Hashtag give first. Same, love it. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.